Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been to a party or an event and you're there and you notice someone and you are pretty sure they weren't invited? It might be a wedding and it's a former boyfriend or girlfriend of the bride or groom. Awkward. Right? And what makes matters worse is maybe they start doing something, behaving in such a way that calls attention to them. And, you know, no one wants to make a scene. You know, here in Minnesota, we're Minnesota nice, right? But uh, we, need, we know someone needs to address this situation. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus does exactly that. But what might surprise us is that Jesus actually commends this party crasher and teaches our hearts something as well. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, picking it up at verse 36. But before we get into God's Word, would you just allow me to pray um, for God to open our hearts today to what He has for us. So Lord Jesus, indeed, you are a wonderful, merciful Savior as we have sung. You are a living hope. And Lord, if we did not have you, we would be lost. And so we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word. So help us to see you today. Help us to hear from you today. Help us to worship you today. And just respond to what you want to do in hearts today. And Lord, if there's somebody who doesn't know you yet, who's yet to see you for who you truly are, would you open the eyes of their heart and give them grace to see that you are our Savior. You are the one who makes a way for us to be reconciled to a holy God. And for those of us who know you, Lord, let us not take you for granted, but see you with eyes afresh and new today. Would you do that for us today, we pray, Lord Jesus. And it is in your name I pray these things. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and read it. Let's read what happens here. Verse 36, Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, to the end of the chapter. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. What kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. 
Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. The other, 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave them the debts. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You had judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Doesn't this passage speak to us today? I don't know about you, but as I look at this, this is one of the most beautiful expressions of love and grace Jesus does in his earthly ministry. This passage is just dripping with the gospel. And folks, let me tell you, I've been excited to preach it. I'm excited how Jesus reveals himself as a savior. So let's unpack this episode here. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God with powerful preaching. Back in chapter 6, Jesus preaches what I call the Sermon on the Plain. Similar to the Sermon on the Mount. I think they're two different episodes. We can disagree. We'll talk about it later, Bree and Pastors, all right? But here's the deal. Jesus is painting what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's backing it up with powerful demonstrations of people being healed. We get to chapter 7 here. Jesus speaks the word at the, at the request of a centurion and a servant is healed. He ends up going to a city called Nain, runs into a funeral. A young man, the only relative of his mother, she's a widow, she's destitute, and Jesus raises her from the dead. And then John the Baptist is asking the question, are you the one? Are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? And he replies, John, the blind receive the sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. That's all he says. 
But the news has gotten out in all of the Galilee and Judea about who Jesus is. And so there's this curious Pharisee. He says, Jesus, I, I, I want you to come to dinner at my house. We're going to have a little soiree, a little dinner party. I'd like to talk about the stuff you've been talking about, the kingdom of God. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that the Pharisees, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they are the guys that are holding the line. They're the religious guys. They're the ones that are looking in God's Word, trying to make sure these things are so, kind of like Bereans, right? And, you know, they're also the ones that are giving Jesus the most grief oftentimes. Because they think they've got it wired. But, to be fair, Jesus is not stereotyping. He says, okay, his name is Simon. I'll come over. You bet. Let's, let's meet. And Jesus does some of his best work at dinner parties. Whether it's a Pharisee or a tax collector. Sometimes it gets him into trouble. But Jesus is doing his work. He's bringing the kingdom. Remember, this kingdom is not a political kingdom. It's not a territory. It's the hearts of men and women. So Jesus shows up in verse 36 and he reclines. Now, this is not Jesus leaning back on the chair. Okay? First century, the table is about a foot high. It's in a U shape. There are pillows and they recline their left arm on the ground, right arm to help themselves to food, and then the conversation begins, right? And your feet are away from the table. So this is, this is the position Jesus assumes. But almost immediately, <laughs> things go south, apparently. You see, this woman shows up. She hasn't been invited. She is a woman in the town that everybody knows. She's a sinner. She has a reputation. We don't know exactly what that is. I'm not going to try and fill in the blanks. But everybody knows it. And you know the Pharisees, they're very particular about who they come in contact with. And things get awkward. She starts weeping, right? When a woman starts weeping, all of a sudden heads start turning, right? And she's weeping with her tears on Jesus' feet. Okay, all right. And then she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. That's getting awkward. And then she's kissing Jesus' feet. Okay. Ooh, I don't know. And then she takes this bottle, this alabaster bottle, of precious ointments, very expensive, and pours it on Jesus' feet. This is extra. This is like, oh, what do we do with this? And all, I mean, it just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. All eyes are on her. All eyes are on Jesus. What is he going to do? Now we can talk about, you know, First century cultural stuff, how the men would sit over here, the women would sit over here, you know. Women didn't have their hair, you know, in public, you know, uh, it was always back, what have you. We can talk about all those first century things, all right. It doesn't matter 
it doesn't matter. For any time, this seems like inappropriate action. Even today. Okay? Folks, if some woman come up right now and starts doing that to my feet, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable, right? It could be my wife even. It'd be uncomfortable. And I wear shoes, right? I mean, Jesus was walking around in sandals. And you know, you know, there's whatever on the road. This is uncomfortable. I mean, my wife started doing it. I'll give her athlete's lip, you know. I mean, it's just. <laughs> but Jesus receives it. Jesus receives it. <laughs> he just broke every rule I ever learned about pastoral counseling between men and women. Jesus, don't you have any boundaries? Come on now. Why? Simon's conclusion, <laughs> Simon's conclusion is Jesus really isn't discerning as he really should be. Verse 39, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. By the way, that word sinner is four times in this passage. Four times. So it's, it's very apparent. She's not a godly woman per se. And you know what? Jesus does know. He knows exactly what kind of woman she is. But here's the thing. That's Jesus' mission. To come and seek and save the lost. Men and women who are separated from a holy God. I'm coming for you. To save you. To reconcile you. He knows her. He knows that her sins are many, as we see in verse 47. And he knows her heart and her motives, why she's doing what she's doing. You know what's amazing about what happens in the Gospel of Luke, and not really all the Gospels, you know? The Pharisees are so concerned about what they touch and becoming unclean. You know what's amazing about Jesus is everything he touches becomes clean. A leper. Jesus, you can make me clean. I am willing. And he touches the leper. A tax collector named Levi or Matthew, <laughs> repurposed from an instrument of the Roman Empire, the instrument of God. Back to the widow of Nain. Jesus reaches out and touches this casket, this beer. Would make a regular Jew unclean, but he raises him from the dead and makes it clean. That's what Jesus does. He also knows Simon's heart. He knows what he's thinking. The scripture says, he said to himself. Jesus has this really irritating ability to say, I know what you're thinking. Right? And this is a teachable moment. Jesus is revealing hearts. He's revealing the gospel. He's revealing the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives him what I call an insightful analogy. And he says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. You know, you know what? I'm impressed with Simon, though. Because he's, he, Jesus already has kind of one strike against him. He says, okay. Second half of, of verse 40. Tell me, teacher. 
He's willing to engage. He's willing to say, hey, maybe I missed something here. Maybe I didn't get it right. And again, we're, we're so quick to trash the Pharisees. But they're a lot like us. They value the kingdom of God. They want to be godly. They're serious about that. The problem is they've gotten good at being good. And sometimes they believe in their own goodness. And they end up looking down on others and they miss sometimes what God is doing. But Jesus is seeking to reach out to Simon here, graciously. And he uses kind of what I call a backdoor strategy. Rather than kind of going for the jugular with him, he says, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give you an analogy. I, I want to give you a principle here rather than just trying to you know, confront him right away. Worked really well for Nathan the prophet with David. It's working for Jesus here too, I think. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? If you're not familiar with the a denarii, it's basically a day's wage. And one, one of the debtors owed a year and a half plus of wages. That is a devastating amount for the first century or for us today. The other amount was 50 denarii, which is a month and a half plus of, of wages. Uh, it's not as bad, but that's still a pretty hefty amount. If I had to pay a month and a half wages of, of my own salary, that would be a, a pretty significant chunk. And I don't care what Dave Ramsey says. That's a pretty significant amount. I don't usually have a month to six months worth of income laying in my bank account. Be quite a setback. And here's the thing, right? First century, there is no declaring chapter 11 or chapter 7. There is no bankruptcy protection. If you cannot pay, no matter what you owe, you can go to jail. And you know what? When you're in jail, there's no working it off. Someone else has to work it off. You stay there until somebody pays that off. You are stuck, and there's nothing you can do. You are stuck. Can you imagine what that would be like? To have this crushing blow of this devastating amount of money and you're stuck and there's nothing you could do. And then BAM! So says, I paid your debt. What a relief. What a relief. And Jesus asks him, says, hey, which of them loves more? Which one's going to be more grateful? Which one is going to sense a sense of love and affection for the money lender? And Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. Jesus says, yeah, you got it right, buddy. You're right. We're tracking. We're tracking. So now, with this understanding, I'm going to give you, in love, some internal application. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Hey, Simon, let's talk about how you received me. Your hospitality, if you will. Compared to this woman, you didn't give me any water for my dusty feet. You know I've been traveling from here to there. But she washed her feet with my tears. With her tears. Tears of repentance, of gratitude. That this really is good news. That she's forgiven. And that she could be restored. And then she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Which is a sign of glory of her femininity. She gives her glory to Jesus, if you will. You didn't give me a kiss. Now, guys, we're not in the habit of kissing each other these days, right? I get that. But, you know, in that time it was a sign of friendship. A sign of love between men. There's no greeting like that. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. Not my cheek, my feet. Some of you guys may know this who dabbled in the Greek. The word to worship in the Greek is to kiss towards. This woman is entering into worship of who Jesus is. She is realizing this. And by the way, Psalm 2, verse 12 tells the kings of the earth to kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Kiss the anointed one. Simon, you didn't give me any oil for my head. Now I know we're thinking salad dressing, right? But this is a hygiene matter, right? People didn't bathe every day like we do. They didn't have indoor showers. And so oil was a hygiene issue to kind of keep your head kind of well kept and perhaps even protect you from insects or things of that nature. We especially know that oil was used for an anointing, right? To anoint a king or someone in, a, in an office. But it, was, it, was a, it certainly was a courtesy. You didn't give me any oil. But she has taken this expensive ointment. And it was expensive. I mean, probably a year's wage or more. And if you know, most women didn't have much of an income. She probably received this as an inheritance. It's in this beautiful alabaster jar. It is set aside for a special occasion, for one-time use. Probably a wedding or a funeral. One of the most precious possessions that she has. And how she decided to use it, she lavishes it on Jesus. She lavishes it on Jesus. She treasured me for who I really am, her Redeemer, the one who buys her back. She spends herself extravagantly in response to who Jesus is. In spite of the disdain, she knows what these men think of her. She knows they're giving him, her the stink eye. 
nevertheless, she's got to get to Jesus and lavish herself on him in response to all that he is. Here's the deal, Simon. You kind of treat me like a ham sandwich. Eh, you can take it or leave it. Indifference. But looking for fault. I'm looking for chinks in the armor. It says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Put yourself in that woman's shoes for just one moment. Can you imagine what she was feeling? A sinner like me, and I know it. I know it. Someone the society around me considers me trash, damaged goods, beyond redemption. And Jesus, the Savior, says, You are forgiven. You are no longer accused. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. You belong. You belong. Maybe these guys will never say you belong, but you belong in the kingdom of God. You are set free. I can't imagine what she must have been feeling. Just like that huge debt coming off of her shoulders. And this is what she put her faith in. She wasn't saved because of her great love. Her faith saved her. And the result was great love, great gratitude. I don't know about you folks, but as I look at this passage... I see the gospel all over it. All over it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed from faith to faith, because it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or how about this truth? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or how about this? We're going to go here this week in Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith. A little later in that same chapter, those who are far away have been brought near. This is why I'm excited about preaching this passage. What a beautiful Savior.
What a beautiful Savior. Who is this who even forgives sins? It's Jesus. Son of God, the Son of Man, the God-Man, who will go to the cross willingly. It's an unjust punishment, but you know what, folks? He's not a victim. He willingly goes for you, for me. He lived a life that we could not live, pays a penalty that we could not pay, and then he conquers a foe we cannot conquer in rising from the dead. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's who forgives the sins. And that's the question all throughout this gospel. Who is this who even forgives sins? They don't recognize him. But remember, I think Jesus is still going after the heart of a Pharisee in Simon. You know what? He is that 50 denarii debtor in the story who didn't believe he had much to be forgiven of because his own righteousness was based on following the law, on what he could do. It was a self-righteousness. And Jesus is trying to say, don't you see, Simon? You may not owe the 500 denarii, but you're still stuck. On human terms, you may not owe as much as the other person. But you're still an eternal debtor to a holy God. Don't you get it, Simon? Don't you get it? And my friend, if you are banking on your own performance, Jesus is saying, don't you get it? Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He says, I've come to pay that debt because you can't. I've come to pay that debt because you can't. And it's amazing because God uses the weak things to shame the strong, right? Really, this woman becomes the example of what is the right response to the Savior versus the self-righteous religious guy. She's the example of faith, love, and gratitude. If Simon really realizes this, who Jesus is, if he really realizes his sin, he would respond to him differently. You know, as things wrap up here in this passage, we don't get a resolution to what happens. We don't see how ultimately Simon does respond. A good, a good thing, though, is his name is known. Somehow Luke found it out. I wonder if he actually did later on put his faith in Christ. I, I don't know that. But it's just a thought. Okay? But the question is, I think Luke leaves it there because he's not asking the question, how did Simon respond? I think he's asking the question, how will you respond? How will I respond? First of all, We need to understand that this is why Jesus came. Again, this, this, this whole interaction is a microcosm of the gospel. Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. He's not risen from the dead, but he's going to. That's what's going to happen. 
He did not come to be a great teacher, a great example. He came to be the Savior. He didn't come to just add a little, put us over the top. He came to pay the debt in full. We are the debtors in this story. Whether debt is huge or whether it's not as huge, we're all stuck in debt and can do nothing about it until someone comes and pays that debt. And this is what Jesus came to do. Again, hallelujah, what a Savior. He has graciously come for us. But God has no grandchildren. We have to, each one of us, accept what He's done. To as many received Him, to those who believe in, in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. So each one of us need to respond to the Savior. Second of all, and I think this is for us, so many of us who've been following Jesus for years, I want to ask you this question. And I'm asking myself the same question, folks. Is the gospel still good news to you? Are you still amazed by grace? Do you have the same sense of need for Him as for when the first time you put your faith in Him? Do you love Him much? Are you overwhelmed by that? And I get it. It goes in ebbs and flows. But are we constantly preaching the gospel to our own hearts? Constantly saying, Jesus... I love you. And those moments where I'm just kind of, eh, change my cold heart. Make me once again grateful in love with you. That's my prayer for myself. The good news will continue to be good news to me. Second of all, I want to ask, along with this woman, do we treasure Jesus like this woman did? She humiliated herself before this crowd of men. Humbled herself before the King of Kings. Gave her best. And Jesus, our Savior, is worth our best. We sang earlier, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. That's an allusion out of the book of Revelation where the 24 elders, they lay their crowns down and said, you are worthy. We lay our glory down to give you glory. Jesus, you're worthy of the glory. He is worth our glory, our best. He's worth our dignity. She was willing to be undignified before these men to give glory, to kiss towards the sun. 
It's not popular to follow Jesus today in this culture. It looks like weakness and all the other names they want to call it. But I'm willing to give my dignity to Jesus. To humble myself before men, before women, before Him. He's worth that. And the last thing I want to say is does our love for Jesus, our gratitude, compel us to tell others about Him? Again, is it such good news? i got to tell somebody. I don't care what they think. That doesn't mean you're completely insensitive, but I mean, it means you don't care how they view you after you've shared about Jesus. And if Jesus is a Savior for all, if all are invited to the party, who are we excluding? Who are we excluding by whatever? Ah, that person, a little rough around the edges there. I'm not sure I can share Jesus with that person. Ah, they're not like me. I'm not sure I can share Jesus with that person. I don't like that person. I'm not sure I can share Jesus with that person. Who are we excluding from the party? And it might be even subtle things. And this is a minor point, folks, so take it as a minor point, right? But at one point, I grew up in the church, coat and tie, right? And there came a point in one of the places I was serving where we stopped wearing a coat and tie. Not because we didn't understand that we were coming before the King of Kings, but because we did not want to put a barrier in front of somebody who would say, I don't have the clothes to come to church. That is frosting. God looks at the heart. And so the churches I've served in, it's business casual. I'm not wearing a t-shirt that says, this bud's for you. Right? But, you know what? We're trying to make Jesus accessible and get unessentials out of the way. Are some of the things we're doing unknowingly cutting people out? We can look to the Holy Spirit to reveal those things and remove them if we need to. But again, my main message today, folks, we have a beautiful Savior who has come to seek us and draw us to Himself. And I hope that you see His beauty. I hope you view Him with gratitude for what He's done in your life. But I hope also that that is such good news that you can't help but want to take it to others. We are evangelicals. We're good newsies, right? We got a message to take out to a world that so desperately needs it. And we have a beautiful Savior to show them. I pray that we love Him so deeply that we can't help but share Him. Hmm. Let me pray for us, and then Alex, will you come and close us, the worship team? Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this episode in your life.
how you reached down and showed this woman who thought she was damaged goods, thought she was not worthy, and she wasn't, Lord. But you have come and given her your worthiness. Thank you that there's no one who's beyond your reach. No heart that's so hard that you can't soften. Because you are the living God who spoke creation into being and can certainly draw anyone to yourself whom you choose, Lord. And those for us who, by comparison, maybe we don't have a record of sin that is quite as bad in our own eyes. But Lord, would you make us grateful? Would you remind remind us you are a wonderful Savior and that we have received amazing grace? And then we have a message to take to a world that so desperately needs it. Jesus, I worship you because you are an amazing Savior. And you are our Master and our King. We want to give you, Lord, our best, our glory, and all that we are to you. Finding that you have clothed us with yourself. And we receive your glory. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we respond in worship?